Come in. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort, slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Hey, hey, you have found the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast here on HawksFanatic.com. I am Rob Howe. That is Scott Docterman from The Athletic. It is Thursday, November the 30th, about 9.15 a.m. Central Time, a couple days before the Big Ten Championship in Indianapolis, Iowa, Michigan. Uh, redo from two years ago. Hopefully for the Hawkeyes, a better outcome. We'll dive into that a lot deeper here later in the podcast. But I got breaking news, Scott. You're never going to believe this. There's a there's an athlete who switched teams, but then is telling his new team, who's playing his former team, what that team likes to do. Mm. It's very it's crazy that you know Cade McNamara would you know talk to Iowa about the things he knows about Michigan. This is this is breaking news. Yeah, that's that's that that never happens in any sport, right? You know, where uh, sometimes uh, you know a quarterback gets cut, and then in the NFL, and then they magically end up on the practice team of the team that they're going to play a week later. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, what uh, is that? One of the surface level. Yeah, I saw that storyline. Somebody wrote about it from Michigan. They were upset. They were upset that Cade would do that. How he would betray. The Wolverines, after the Wolverines basically took his job away and gave it to the younger guy. And mm-hmm. I'm not making a commentary on that decision. That's not mine to make, and people can have their opinions on that. But he wasn't wanted at Michigan. No. So if you're butthurt, if you're a butthurt Wolverine fan, <laughs> too bad. Yeah, well, um, there are worse decisions. Like, Well, there are worse situations like – Charlie Jones, you know, directly impacting the West Division race last year. That was that you don't get worse than that. I mean, you take a a player who absolutely would have helped Iowa win probably two more games, and you deliver them to another team, and then they win the division. You know, so I, I don't. If Michigan's so big and bad that they they shouldn't have to worry, you know, they could lead the playbook they can iowa can employ connor stallions for the week and they shouldn't have any problems right (laughs) here's the thing scott everybody has to be maybe not the victim but disrespected everybody you know michigan against the world after they get caught cheating and stealing signs it's it's us against everybody Mm -hmm. you cheated Mm -hmm. you're you're not the victim here at all and you know it's you're you're not the underdog in this game. You, you you're not being disrespected by Iowa at all. So it, that's what I almost feel sometimes. Those situations people are trying to manufacture or fabricate fabricate disrespect. How many five stars do we hear all the time? Nobody, you know, you'll read their social media posts. Nobody believed in me. Uh, all the haters out there. I'm like. You're a five-star kid. <laughs> you started as a true freshman. Nobody hated on you. You're a first-round draft pick. Nobody hated on you. you know, stop it. You know, it's it's you're making it up. And in some ways, that's the same way with Michigan. I mean, you know, they 
clearly are a very, very, very talented team and is as good as there is in the country and probably and has, you know, a very solid opportunity to win the national championship. So, but it's, it's, yeah. So that they, the, all the adversity that they faced is, is self manufactured. It's, (laughs) you know, it's their own fault. It's not like a bunch of players got hurt or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. Won't you please support the plucky Wolverines? Yeah. <laughs> I know. This is like, it isn't like 2019 going into playing Ohio State when they're a juggernaut. I'm going to guess that the vast majority of other Big Ten coaches and players are really rooting for Iowa this weekend. I would say that most of the people connected with the Big Ten in terms of players and coaches would love to see Michigan go down this week. Oh, for, no, without question. I mean, you know, you know what's funny, Rob? I wrote about this yesterday is that, <clears throat> you know, I, I wrote America loves underdogs except for boring old Iowa. And that's kind of people of our, um, ilk <laughs> media people i work with that you know have like hate iowa because of the boring stale slow offense and oh it's such a pain to watch and love uh, that iowa's not going to cross midfield and no oh, they're not going to score and they're terrible um but i think people who actually have you know whether they've played the sport or appreciate the nuance of football like that Iowa can overcome so many challenges, even even if some of them are self-inflicted, like offense, yeah. <laughs> you know, but but the injuries are not, of course, but um but the fact that Iowa can persevere and play as a team and not have any finger pointing and play with toughness, play with heart, play with you know, and and skill and and do everything right. I think that's the lesson that a lot of people take away from that. And then, uh, but you're right in the big 10, do you think people in Columbus are going to go, yeah, go blue. Yeah. <laughs> are you kidding me though? They wouldn't do that anyway. They could be, they could, uh, you know, you, you maybe, the, maybe the Nebraska fans want to see Michigan beat. Oh yeah. Well, that's <laughs> Nebraska. Inside their dislike for Harbaugh yeah. to, to root for him in this one. You know, um, I, I wonder about Franklin, you know, that, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting one, you know, um, but he's probably as disliked as anybody. I, Iowa State, of course, is rooting for Michigan. Yeah, I found that out right in that story, you know, because I've always kind of said the, the mutual, uh, you know, the mutual situ- thing that the joins Iowa and Iowa State together is kind of their insecurity. And and that's really tough sometimes to absorb, but but then the inferiority complex that comes with being an Iowa State fan, along with that insecurity, just just they can't stand to see Iowa, you know, in in some sort of positive you know light. So oh, they play in the worst division in sports, and then I write that they're underdog. Well, they're not an underdog; they're only an underdog because it suits suits your needs. Well, they're twenty three and a half point underdog in this game. You know, it would be you know they're gonna get killed well yeah okay so are they the underdog then you know it's like this figure eight that they can't quite grasp because they they don't like iowa and they're trying to justify both sides of their argument and so i would say iowa state and nebraska certainly are not iowa fans you know probably the rest of the big 10 would probably say yeah that'd be kind of cool if iowa can win that game yeah no doubt and uh we'll get into that again as i said in a little bit here um 
one other topic, which we can kind of segue into this um, Big Ten Coach of the Year um, created a lot of discussion uh, Mm -hmm. on social media. Here's where I'm going to come at this. You and I both know the resumes for Mm -hmm. each. And I think people that are um, debating this topic need to look at it objectively. That won't happen. But if we try to do that here, I was talking to Pat Hardy the other day, owner of Hawk Fanatic, and he he wrote a column, I think, promoting David Braun, saying mm-hmm. what he did deserved it. I see that, but this is one of those years where I would have been fine if it was split. And I I don't normally like to do that, but if you look at both of these cases, I think it was fair to do that um, and could have been, but I don't have a problem with David Braun winning. Yeah, I don't either. I, I probably, if I had to be a very, very objective and look at it down the, the line, I would probably do the same thing. I'd probably vote for David Braun because when you look at the expectations during the summer, I, I mean, I felt Iowa was going to win the West. I picked Iowa to win the West. I picked them to be 10 and 2. I picked them to lose the games they lost. So, I mean, I, uh, was overall, Wisconsin the favorite? Wisconsin was a yeah. slight favorite, right? But Iowa yeah. was right there like, yeah. from a betting standpoint. Right. They were right there. It was very close. And, and people were just picking Wisconsin, not with their brain, but, but they were picking them because of the name recognition and, oh, they're trying something new. So that means they're better, you know, and, you know, they're going to, it doesn't always work that way. And they've had so much success that it's just kind of the default now. Yeah. It's the Big Ten West. Wisconsin's got to win it. Yeah, and and again, it comes back to I don't want to pick Iowa to win. I don't like Iowa, you know, and that's kind of the the default mechanism as well. That you know, so I, I looked at it. I thought Iowa was the best team in the West. Iowa was ten and two. I picked them to be ten and two. Now the the path to ten and two was very very difficult. But I'd also say that when you start to judge the West, you know, the competition it wasn't real good this year, and that's not. Kirk's fault. You're being kind. I am. I'm trying to be <laughs> narrow here. I mean, you know, it wasn't like Wisconsin was nine and three. It wasn't like, you know, Nebraska was, you know, Nebraska of yesteryear or whatever. And, you know, but you look at David Braun in the situation with Northwestern, they were one and 11 last year and then they're seven and five this year. That's that in an own right that, that a lot of times gets you that coach of the year. But then you look at Pat Fitzgerald, their statue coach gets fired and the, you want to talk about adversity and, you know, just the, I didn't think that I thought at that point, well, maybe they beat Howard and that's it. You know, or Cunningham if they are, are on the schedule. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, other than that, I, I, I thought they were done. They were cooked. They were going to be last. If the, if the over under is two and a half, take the under. Uh, so to win seven games to basically be what second in the division, that's, that's pretty damn impressive. So Kirk deserves it this year. If, if Illinois would have beat Northwestern, I probably would have thought Kirk might have got it, but to go seven and five, I think that's that's telling. Yeah, no doubt. And I would also submit that if Iowa had dominated the West, and I know yeah. they're seven and two, but think yeah. about how close, right. including the Northwestern. Yeah. I mean, so ten I mean, to seven, thirteen to ten, they lose twelve to ten, they win yeah. at Madison fifteen to six. You know, just it's like eh. what was the biggest win, Purdue? Rutgers. Point wise? 
From the West, though. Oh, yeah. Uh, six against them. I was, what, two against Illinois. Yeah, I think it was, I think it was six against Purdue. So, I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's crazy. No kidding. And it's, and, and Iowa deserves credit for winning those games. Absolutely. A ton of credit. But it wasn't like that was the, you know, how they, they dominated the division so much that he deserved it, that Kirk deserved it. I think it was a, I think it was a fair argument and I would have been fine with both. Yeah. For sure. It would have been nice, but it would have been a feather in his cap. But, you know, it's also, you know, people probably look at it saying, and, and this is the objective part of it. We talked about it all year. I mean, for a couple of years now, um, look at the, uh, uh, you know, the offense. Whose fault is that? You know, and that is Kirk's fault. Now, the injuries aren't, but the the be you know basically last in the country last year and now they're basically now they are clearly last i mean not even close this year and you know there weren't weren't any change there weren't any you know systematic changes there weren't any, you know his son's the offensive coordinator he's kept him in that position even though for several years now people have clamored for change so i kind of get that you know and and uh, that's probably why going into this championship game that not and nobody is giving them a chance. I mean, this is the one you know that people always talk. You know, players always talk about you know disrespect card. As you were saying, Iowa could play this to the end of time if they win this game because nobody's giving them a chance to win. I mean, very few people are giving them a chance to cover, let alone win. Yep, it's uh, it's a huge number, and it's just kind of crept up. It'll will be interesting to see what it does the next two days next couple days here um and that can tie us into another neat segue into it seems like the paul chris name uh is popping up again because he was connected to indiana and now there's reports this morning that it's not a done deal there and you know there's and it would have been silly for it to be done that quickly unless they i guess were working with paul behind the scenes but now there's, I think it was, uh, is it Jeff Petrakis? Petrakis from uh, one of the Wisconsin papers. Yeah, Milwaukee. Yeah, he threw out there uh, the Paul Christ. And I know others in our uh, media have thrown it out there, and it seems like it would make sense. Um, would that excite people? I think so. I Actually, I mean, I know that there's going to be a segment, a third of the fans will be – angry you know just because it's not somebody who's 28 and ran a razzle dazzle offense you know but um i think that the critical mass which is what we got to remember the people who don't necessarily comment on twitter or message boards yeah, there are people that don't yeah that weren't on those platforms believe it or not you know they would say oh okay and then now you know some of their numbers have been you know slowed down over the years but you know, Paul split his duties and, and stuff like that. I think as a play caller and as a schemer, he's probably as close to perfect as for somebody like Ferentz to me. So, you know, what it, it, it yeah, there's going to be the Twitter people. Oh, I can't believe it. They're just doubling down on this again. Well, you know, I, I think if you have an experienced play caller who has Kirk Ferentz's respect and could probably get away with, Kirk leave him alone a little bit, you know, not, you know, he, he's tinkered. He, we know that he's tinkered for a long time and, and kind of, it's like, it's like somebody going over to the half empty vodka bottle and pouring a bunch of water in it. That's kind of what Kirk has done to the offense. And, you know, <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, I, I, 
I think that's (laughs) your loss of so, (laughs) but, uh, I, you know, if, if that's the case, I think that would, the the one candidate that I know people would, I don't say rebel against, but be very, very disappointed in would be John Budmeyer because he has had a hand in the offense the last couple of years. Now, whether it's his fault or not, we don't know, but you know, it's, it's obviously been the worst in the country the last two years. And if he was automatically elevated, then, okay, you know, and how much control would Kirk still have over it? And, you know, that, you know, at least Paul Crest, it's like, hey, I got a pretty good resume here. You know, it, it'll work. And I would think if that were the case, if it ends, and again, this, this, none of this is coming from Iowa. There's nobody saying this is a no. done deal or it's just speculation about things that make sense or, or a move that would make sense just from a schematic and, um, fit standpoint but um you know if if paul christ were to come in i I would think that's it for john budmeyer here right they did work together yeah and i don't know did did chris fire him or did he leave on his own accord to go to where colorado state yeah he, he left to become the offensive coordinator there okay yeah so he went from quarterbacks coach to offensive coordinator so i you know i i would i don't know did he change Bud Myers, did he take responsibility? I, I thought I remember reading something where it just, it, it got a little, um, wonky at the end, hmm. but I could be uh, off on that. You know, you, you might be right. I haven't, I guess I haven't looked at the relationship. I, think, too I, think, I thought I read that Chris maybe take, took some more play calling responsibilities away from Bud Myers, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I can't speak to that, but I, I will say, uh, you know, if that's the case, that's the case. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, what we're going to experience on Monday, Rob, and, and there's probably going to be a couple of surprises in the in the transfer portal, and I'm not going to predict who or what, but, you know, people are going to go like, <gasps> you know, well, that's just what happens. You just got to deal with it. You know, you're not going to bat a thousand, you know, except, oh, well, we got rid of this dead weight. <laughs> you yeah. Know, you're going to lose probably a good running back. One of the three. I just can't imagine that all three are going to come back and be happy with their roles and the way they, they're situated. So, um, but, you know, so people will get initial freak out. But, you know, take take a look at, I mean, is Iowa better off? Let, let's look at the, I know I'm veering in a different direction, but. The, take the, off, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, The portal last year, everybody was pretty upset when Justin Jacobs hit the portal. And oh, wow, how can you do this? You know, you know what kind of linebacker you could be here. They got Nick Jackson, and I would argue Iowa got the better end of that. Um, you know, Jacobs had been hurt. And he's a dynamic player. We all respect his athletic ability, and he's more of an NFL prospect based on that. But the production you got out of Nick Jackson and the you know, I I think is is probably higher. So at any rate, um, you know, when when it comes down to the coaching staff. They got to make tough decisions. So be it. It needs to be tough in some ways. And, and, you know, you'd say this over the years and, you know, that Kirk is, has <laughs> been a little more cutthroat with the players than he has been with the coaches. And, and I think now's the time to, you know, he, he's clearly on the back nine of his career. How much longer, how many more uh, holes does he have to shoot? Who knows? But I, I think you'd probably want to finish out uh, with, with a strong push. And if, if that means I wouldn't settle and if, and I'm not saying John is necessarily settling, but you know, he, he's part of it. 
and he's going to be linked to this. And unless they can, unless he can walk in and say, yeah, we're going to do this, this, and this differently. But even then, if he does it, if he says that, then he's disrespected Brian. So I, I think that would be a tough sell for everybody. Yeah, and it's we, we'll talk a lot more about the offensive coordinator opening as we move forward here. Um, uh, after after this week, after the game, we'll have plenty of time before the bowl game. Um, but if you just consider what we've talked, we talk about a lot on here, and that's the dynamic of Iowa, which is a head coach who is involved in the offense. He has a philosophy. He has certain things that he wants from the offense, whereas he doesn't really stick his nose in with what Phil Parker is doing. He does that on the offensive end, and we've seen that, whether it be Ken O'Keefe or Greg Davis or Brian Ferentz, the Kirk Ferentz influence is there. Um, And I know myself and other people wrote back when Brian was hired, this is good because if his son can't help help him modernize, uh, you know, maybe evolve the offense a little bit who can um and and there's there's different nuance to this and reasons why things haven't worked and injuries that Scott's talked about but we need an maybe not a complete overhaul here but we need modernization we need evolution with this offense and who is willing to come in and work under those parameters of Kirk being involved and how much will he how will he be able to work with said offensive coordinator those mm-hmm. are the th- those are the i don't say obstacles but those are the factors that are going to play into this high yeah and and that's why you know people immediately want something vastly different and it's just not going to be the case cuz Kirk's going to pick someone that he feels comfortable with and that comfortability is going to come with um you know, and I don't want to say risk averse philosophy, but it's going to come with similar thought processes. And, you know, and again, you, you, you know, Chris is kind of the default for me on why this would make a lot of sense because what you've seen in the past is people that he trusts, people that he knows. And, uh, you know, take, you know, even somebody like Greg Davis, who he really didn't know, but what, what were the, some of the positives? He's a great teacher. You know, there's not going to be a lot of recruiting responsibility for the OC, which I think I, if I, if I was to say there's been one thing that they've sorely lacked, it's the OC actually going out and freaking recruiting. But, um, but anyway, I digress. I'm glad I, you I said that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, so he's going to look for somebody who's not necessarily full of all these great ideas. It's like, how do we maximize within our philosophy? And now Iowa has taken as completely changed its blocking philosophy. It's gone from outside zone as a staple, it's bread and butter, as as even Brian mentioned a few years ago, to now it's more of a counter gap, um, you know, a lot of pen and pull, but a lot of counter more than anything else, which is Wisconsin. That's Wisconsin style. And, And part of that is they just, they don't have the, athletes to pull it off and then the the system and the the, is changed you look at uh, the way things are going with uh uh the 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 officiating you know that they they will call you on cup blocking well you know you're gonna have to do something different and they have you know they've done some wham blocks and stuff but outside zone isn't just what they do very well so they if you have somebody who's obviously experienced encounter (laughs) that's paul christ he knows it inside and out 
now, but I would argue that the the run game philosophy is is fine. It's it's a matter of how do you, you the revamp needs to come in the pass game, and I'm not saying uh, necessarily even uh, formationally or personnel wise. It's it's the design and it's the the reads, it's the depths, it's all the the system of the passing game that needs to get better. Now it's hard to see if this year it's almost a tough read because with Cade hurt first and then out for the season and Deacon Hill being pretty limited, it's hard to see if there was if it is better, you know, and, and how much do they have to dumb it down just because of the ability to make this. But overall, you know, that's why I kind of say somebody like Paul Christ, who has had success against Iowa. He was five and two when he was at Wisconsin, five and three overall coached against them, even in the, in the, I was going to say seventies, but the two thousands, (laughs) (laughs) you know, (laughs) but uh, anyway, you know, so that's why I, I would, Thing, you know, and so Kirk has respect for him, obviously. And if he can come in and he and Kirk can kind of agree to parameters, maybe Kirk will back off a little bit. And hey, Paul, Paul's got this. He understands what we're about. We're not, you know, maybe he'll interject, you know, an idea or a thought like certain one. Hey, let's run here. You know, maybe something like that. But I don't see him. You know, kind of, kind of with Brian, and certainly with Greg Davis, he was a lot more overbearing at times. One of the, I think one of the best traits and one of the the bonuses you would get with Paul Christ is his knowledge of the quarterback position and his mm-hmm. ability to develop quarterbacks. It's not like he was recruiting, well, Graham Mertz, but a lot of five <laughs> stars at Wisconsin. But he's developed both at Pitt and at Wisconsin quarterbacks mm-hmm. that really got better as their careers go on, going on. And I know that's music to some Iowa fans' ears who get locked into quarterbacks getting worse when they're at Iowa through their careers. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, I, I also think you need to look at wide receiver development and that position um, because that has to get better in conjunction oh, with the new offensive coordinator. Yeah. And I don't know how you feel, Rob, but I, I mean, I, I look at the receivers and I actually think that they've got a chance, but I also think that they need to be developed within the system. Then I look at Caleb Brown and I think, okay, you know, I think he's a player. I think he could be a long-term player for Iowa. I look at uh, Seth Anderson. I think he's been sorely underutilized this year, you know, and, and Deontay Vines, I can't really tell, but I think he's okay. Um, Nico, of course it was, you know, on his way out. So it doesn't really matter, but what do they, ha- you know, is, is Bowie or, or Howard, you know, do, you know, next year Vanderzee, you know, those guys, can they, come in and be more than just practice teamers, you know, I, you know, and I'm not directly advocating for change there, but I think that if you get a new OC, you, you know, and passing game is the issue, you know, you might want to go in a different direction just to change things up and make sure you're on the same page. It was supposed to be that way with, with Greg Davis and Bobby Kennedy. Um, but, you know, the attrition at wide receiver at that era was just, God awful. And it's, I mean, still remains so, but back then it was just an abomination. But when they were on the same page, you know, like 2015 and 14, it wasn't so bad. They should have been better. I think Javon Smith could have been better, you know, than what Iowa gave him. But other than that, I, I think that's what you need probably with the next OC is bringing their own wide receiver coach. 
Yeah, Seth Anderson is playing the role of Savon Smith on this year's team, yeah. being way underutilized. Uh, let's look back, not long, but a little, at uh, the Nebraska game. Scott, we're pretty far removed from that, and most folks are, but I uh, wanted to at least recap it a little bit on this podcast for posterity. Uh, Marshall Meter. Um, it was funny. I did the rapid reaction with with Jovan and Jordan, and I said, "You guys can admit it. You'd never heard of him. Nope, we'd never heard of him. We didn't know who he was." It sounds like the decision was made at halftime, according to Tory Taylor the other day, that Marshall would be the one taking the kick. Um, I guess the the we know if Iowa's going to win this weekend, Scott, it's not going to be by three touchdowns. It's going to be a close game. And place kicker, as we know, is a vital part of what Iowa does in its complementary football. Um, where where do you think things are right now with the kicker position? You know, Joe Stevens is the kicker right now. Um, you know, he Kirk mentioned that on Sunday. He mentioned it on Tuesday. And Tory did as well. That makes sense. Okay. He had a bad day. And, um, you know, whether in, in the conversations he had with his linemen about what certain things, you know, th- this was probably a pretty good wake up call for him because, you know, he can get a little, you know, he, he's confident. He, yeah. Let's just say that he's confident. So, um, you know, missing getting two field goals blocked the week before getting a field goal blocked, kicking, having two kickoffs go out of bounds. Um, you know, that's, there's a lot of mental there, you know, rather than physical. So getting benched, getting bitched at, (laughs) you know, which is, which did happen, you know, those types of things. Sometimes it's like, okay, here's your comeuppance now, now get to work, you know, be mentally sharp, be focused, go do your job because he can do it. He's good. You know, so that makes sense. And plus you're playing it in a dome. You know, so there's no weather conditions. I was been playing in crappy weather all year, um, with a wind and stuff. So I, I don't see that being, I, I think he's going to go in and he's going to be the kicker. And, you know, now if, if he blows two field goals in the first half, he's not going to be the kicker and he, you know, and he won't be the kicker <laughs> in the bowl game either, you know, but, uh, you know, I think that's probably where, where things stand beyond that if he continues to have struggles. Yeah, and he, Iowa can't afford to have a missed field goal. Not mm-hmm. not a one in this mm-hmm. game, um, most likely. And like we were saying, for those that don't know Drew or haven't talked to him, he's very confident. He's very yeah. he's very he believes in his ability, which is a great thing. But sometimes somebody like that who struggles, it's how can he process that the confidence without it getting in his head of. And this is, is this going to get blocked? Am I going to kick this out of bounds? Sometimes that doubt can creep in and it, and it hits harder for somebody that's really confident because they're not used to maybe having some adversity in personally. So I, th- I'm with Scott. I think Drew is built to, to bounce back from this, but it's certainly something worth keeping an eye on Saturday. Yeah. And sometimes this is healthy. You know, when you, when you have a very, very confident young man and he's facing a, a, an adverse situation, he gets benched, he gets a little humbled, then, you know, then you learn from it and grow. And, you know, you develop that kind of calloused toughness. And, yeah. and at that position, you absolutely need it. Um, and he's going to experience it at some other point in his life, whether that's in the NFL or whatever. So I think having it early and having it the other day, it didn't cost them. It, I mean, it could have. It came close to, but it didn't. 
Um, you know, it provided another moment for a teammate. Be a good teammate. Support your teammate because he supported you. Everybody else supported you when you're out there. Now, okay, you know, you got it. Now you maybe be a little bit better teammate. Now you go through everything and be tough-minded and and work through it. Like everybody else has to work through things, you know, injuries or, you know, Deacon Hill, Lord knows he's had to work through a lot. So let's, uh, you know, if, if that works out for him, then it's probably better, you know, it's better for the program as, as a whole. And it's nice to know that, you know, you have a Marshall meter there. Yeah. After losing Aaron Blum, you know, mm-hmm. you can bring a guy in late in the process, get him out of the portal almost when the season's starting. He comes yeah. in, you know, and now I think competition's good. And now yeah. Drew knows that there's somebody there that can take his job. Absolutely. It's, you know, if you, you know, we, when you're talking about the Big Ten championship game and the opportunity for a miracle, which is pretty much what you'd have to predict for Iowa to win, but do you want to be the one kicking that field goal or do you want him to kick it? You know, yeah. well, you know, it's, it's about your process and how you put things together and how you, you know, learn from the past, not necessarily forget it, but forgive yourself and forgive the the situations, but learn from it and, and so, yeah, and then for Iowa, it's like, well, now we, we've got an insurance policy. He's hit his only field goal all year long, came on the last play of the game on the road at Nebraska and, you know, provided Nebraska with another humbling moment as not going to a bowl game. It's the it's the big Lebowski uh, bowling alley scene <laughs> uh, with the bowling balls, if yeah. you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Because that takes some when you're coming in that spot, your first kick, yeah. and it's the game's on the line. Pretty impressive. Last part of this one, Scott, and we'll take a break and then get into Michigan. Um, from a technical standpoint, um, how much was that on Drew? It looked like the first one, the Nebraska kid made a hell of a play. The second one, the trajectory looked low. Yeah, I think you're right on that. And the first one he made, but then there was the, uh, the penalty right. that bounced him back five yards, and then it got blocked, and it was like, uh, you know, th- these are the situations that are going to be killer for you. And then the second one was just how bad of a, of a series can Iowa have? I mean, they were able to get the ball all the way down there. Um, you know, great run by LaShawn Williams, who I think is really playing well. I mean, mm-hmm. is running back. He's just, he's having a great year and, and a great season and stuff, but it really fits what they like to do now with this. When you talked earlier about the blocking scheme changes, he fits really well into that. And, you know, you got to write the the hot hand. I mean, he, he has as many yards as, um, as Caleb Johnson did last year at the exact same number right now. So, you know, if, as long as he doesn't end up (laughs) 10 carries for minus four yards, you know, at least going to the bowl game, you should have 800 or so more, but the, you know, I I think you know I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> the kicking trajectory on that yeah. se- that that yeah. series was a freaking. And, and Caleb Brown dropped the the touchdown pass. I mean, it was hard. It was a d- challenging catch, but I mean, it was like right here at his shoulder. You got to make that catch. You, you know, there's not he a looked, lot of separation. He looked like a running back on that. Yeah, one. he's still was, in that process of yeah. converting, and he looked like a running back on that play because that was an excellent play call. Yeah, yeah, it was. And and that's the problem when when you offensive coordinators get judged by the plays that work, not the plays that should have worked. And you know, Deacon threw one of his best passes. 
And he had, and I mean, there was not a lot of separation there. And it was a tight window. It was a third down and it was there. And then you, you compound that with a missed field goal that was kicked into the line. (laughs) You know, that sequence there was, was, could have been very costly if it wasn't for, you know, some clock error and it wasn't for some really weird, Nebraska trying to lose the game. <laughs> you know? They're good at that. Yeah, they've been good at that for a long time now. And uh, hey, let's you know, get a close game and figure out a way to lose. Yeah, they, they've lost like I don't know what, like thirty-one score games the last five or six years or something like that. And Matt Rule carrying yeah. on the Scott Frost tradition yeah. of losing <laughs> close games. Exactly, <laughs> blowing it to Iowa, you know, in the final seconds. And you know, it, well, what was funny was like the mysterious twelve seconds that didn't evaporate and and i don't know i mean i just joked i'm sure what it was was a was a time brain fart like oh crap i forgot to start the clock that's probably what it was but then i'm like well you know nebraska was you know had the ball so they're trying to give them a little more time to get down the field and uh didn't work out for him did it you know (laughs) you know you left just enough for iowa to get a you know an interception uh, a nice run by LaShawn and well, the good thing for the Huskers, Scott, is now they don't, you know, they're not bogged down by a bowl game. They've mm-hmm. got the whole month of December. They can get out and get to Christmas trees, shopping. They've got a lot of free time this month to, uh, you know, to, to spend time with family and friends. Who needs a bowl game? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm trying to egg Scott on yeah, because he has such a great relationship with the folks over there on the other I, side of the Missouri River. There's so many great fans and the ones that I just, I'm like, you know, I, I don't know. I'm like you know, out in the, the lawn when the, the stray cats go to the bathroom and then all of a sudden the flies come. That just seems to be, I don't know if I'm the fly or the, you know what, but man, it's, <laughs> they come after me for whatever reason. I mean, I was talking to people about that in Lincoln last week. Like, you know, the Caitlin Clark one was the one still blows my mind. The Caitlin Clark effect. I'm like, I was. Do you think I really wanted to antagonize you on a day where Brian Ferentz gets let go? Was that my goal? You know, did I not have anything else to do except, well, let's poke the bear, <laughs> you know? And, and so, you know, and then some of them are dumb enough to admit that, well, I was just trying to get your goat a little bit. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm going to try to mute you. That's what I'm going to do. Cause I'm not going to, I don't play these games very well. So. That is the best function on Twitter X, the mute. So they can yeah. talk into the wind, talk yeah. into the abyss, talk into dead <laughs> air. So yes. to speak. Uh, let's take a break here, Scott, and we'll come back and dive heavy into Michigan, talk a little hoops and then uh, recap our picks from last week. Want to let folks know that support for the podcast comes from systems unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their upcoming events and all that stuff can be found at sui.org. That is sui.org. Thank you to Systems Unlimited for their great work in the community and support of the podcast. Hear from a few more of our sponsors right now, and Scott and I will be back on the other side. Hang in there. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Hi, this is AJ Perez, managing partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. 
We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. Do you need a great electrical contractor or fire and water restoration specialist? Well, contact Lance Bolin at LB Electric and LJ Construction in North Liberty. Lance has served the corridor for many years and is ready to help you. Call Lance Bolin at 319-640-1116. That's 319-640-1116. Or visit LJ underscore construction on Instagram for licensed and insured electrical work, fire and water restoration, and remodeling. Got a little cocky heading in that break, thinking I had that committed to memory, that system's unlimited ad, and I forgot that it was to check out their services and upcoming events. It's SUI.org. So that's what happens when you get a little cocky, um, so to speak, uh, and think you know that and you're old and you forget things. Yeah. Um, So I haven't seen the number... Today, it was 23 and a half yesterday, I believe, and 35 and a half over under. Um, all this is kind of goofy and freaking like gamblers out. They're like, Michigan averages almost 38 points a game. How is the over under 35 and a half? It really, Scott, takes you can't just, it's not a periphery thing. You can't just kind of glaze over this and try to figure it out. You have to dig in to find out why these numbers are what they are. Yeah, and I just noticed the. I just looked up the consensus while you're talking here, and it's it's now twenty one and a half. Okay, and it, it opened at twenty one and a half, and it's now twenty one and a half. It kind of went up to twenty three, but the over under has come down even more to the thirty four and a half. So oh. I think people are expecting Michigan to dominate, but not you know not fifty to nothing dominate. No, like, like thirty to three, right? Yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. 30 to 20, 6, 30 to 7. 28 to 6, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Maybe a touchdown for Iowa. Maybe two field goals is probably more like it. And if you were to analyze this game just from a statistical standpoint and just look at the numbers and say, how do these teams match up and watch them this season and say, it's hard, it's really difficult to figure out a path for Iowa to win this game. But that's what – you get in setups like this, whether it's, and I'm not going to, this is, these are more extreme examples because they're the ones that people know, but uh-huh. Villanova over Georgetown or the Jets over the Colts. I like that one. Yeah. It's been, uh, it'd be great if something like that could happen again. Uh, well, there Rogers, Rogers come... They opened the window, Scott. I know. Yeah. Rogers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can Ooh, I close dude. the window? Yeah. <laughs> close the shades on that one. <laughs> but that's what that's what these are. These are games where it's really hard. You're it's something I say a miracle because I think that's overstating it, but unusual has to happen. So the breaks, Iowa has to catch the breaks. Iowa ha- Michigan has to be off a little bit. A lot of things have to happen. The thing is is we haven't seen it to this extreme this year because of this is the best opponent Iowa's played, but we've seen Iowa pull stuff out of their ass, right? <laughs> it seems like we, I mean, just go for, we talked about it. The Caleb Brown's first catch at Northwestern, boom, 
Yeah. How big was that? You know, Caleb Johnson comes off the bench, hardly played at all against Illinois. Boom, rips off a run. Yeah. You, you think about all the things that Marshall Meter kicks the game-winning field. Think about if you watch this Iowa team throughout this season, and I know people that listen are listening half, in the back of your mind, you th- you have hope, and you're thinking they can do it one more time. And that's I think that's okay, and I think that is natural with what you've seen this team be able to accomplish this year. Now, again, it's going to take it, – it's more than talk and all that stuff. It's more than being the underdog. They have to go out there and play their best game of the year by far, and Michigan has to be a little off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, what happens when we evaluate these games – and and really, frankly, the whole entire sport is kind of corrupt for this, is we always look at, especially the Blue Bloods get the, the benefit of the doubt, and the Blue Bloods always are looked at their what their height is. Wh- how good can they be? The middle of the pack teams or the second tier teams, whether it's recruiting, whether it's talent, whether it's a season like this, they're never looked at in the same light. So we're what the comparison is, is, Michigan, how good Michigan is and how great they've played and what they can do at the championship level. You're expecting a performance that maximizes Michigan. And you're looking at Iowa going, eh, Iowa sucks on offense. Iowa's this. I, all the negatives of Iowa, all the positives of Michigan. And so you're getting a gap that's this big. In reality, what it is is what happened to, you know, less than two weeks ago against Maryland for Michigan. How did that happen? Can that happen again? Can they go in overconfident? Can they go in and they didn't really make any mistakes last week? Can they make mistakes this week? If so, how? In Iowa, yes, you have to play your best game. No questions. I don't think anybody's disputing that because they know the metal of their foe. But but I also think how can they maximize their possessions? How can they frustrate Michigan? And I believe it's wholeheartedly they're capable of doing that. It's just can the the one thing that I think that is the leap of faith, the one that no why nobody's predicting this or even a close game is that it takes like Indiana Jones in the last crusade where you have to close your eyes and take that step because you have to project that not only can they frustrate Michigan, which they're capable of doing, not only do they put them in a fist fight, which they're going to do at some point, can they capitalize on that and score touchdowns? And that's where you're like, I don't know. They've scored 11 touchdowns in nine big 10 games. Now they're going against the best team. That's why people are going, I don't think they're going to score or they're, you know, maybe they'll score one, but how are they going to score three? <laughs> how are they going to yeah. score, you know, and plus two field goals. And if they get into any kind of game like that. So that to me is the, is the issue that, you know, is underlying here. And, um, but I wrote about it today. Um, I saved all these quotes and I always plan to write a story and it just never got written from 2016. When I talked to CJ Beathard and LaShawn Daniels and Jaleel Johnson and Desmond King and George Kittle and all these guys about that upset against Michigan, I was going to write like the oral history of that. And I never got around to it. And I'm like, this is the perfect time because that was shocked the world. You know, as much as people want to talk about Ohio State, Iowa in 2017, you got to remember they had dudes. Iowa did. In 2016, they didn't have any dudes other than Beathard, and and he, he was his dudeness was mitigated a little bit. <laughs> they had four walk-ons starting on offense, and yet they were going against the most powerful defense in the country and pulled off a shocker. 
Can they do that again, Rob? The, the circumstance is even more difficult today, even though Iowa's probably a little bit better team today. The, the, the difficulty is you're, you were playing at Kinnick Stadium. That adds the, the, to the aura, and you, the game started to unfold and, and that. But the lessons that can be learned and the application of how Iowa has a chance to win is all rooted in what took place that night seven years ago. Yeah, and there are examples throughout, you know, Kirk's 25 years of them being able to surprise people in these situations. The difference here is this is a Big Ten championship game. Yeah, The stage is different. You know, you're not coming off uh, getting your ass handed to you at State College and Michigan may be overlooking you. Michigan is going to be locked in here. And Michigan's experienced in this game. It's his third mm-hmm. time in a row. McCarthy's played against Iowa's defense. There's a, there's, there are so, there are things that you could maybe point to to say, okay, well, is JJ McCarthy going to be patient against Iowa's defense and take what Iowa's defense gives it? He knows going in. He said it the other day on Monday, what, what uh, they need to do. Can they, will they do that? That's another situation, but they know what they need to do. Um, so that makes the task even greater for Iowa, but, it's it's a difficult task no matter how you slice it. It all comes down to getting out there. My I what you hit on it, Scott, for me, Iowa's got to do something different offensively. Iowa cannot be vanilla. I, mm-hmm. I don't think Iowa can be vanilla and just, you know, first, second down, run it, run it up the gut, and then try to hit a third and eight or third and seven pass. You have to be a little unpredictable. I don't want a fullback. The tight end pass. I don't need to see that again. But and that could have worked too. It wasn't a bad play call. Yeah. It was bad execution. But that's what you don't have a fullback throw a pass. Um, <laughs> well, it was, Ga- it was Gavin Williams to Monty Potterbaum. So oh, yeah. okay, I, I missed yeah. that. You have a, a, that's even you're throwing it to the fullback. Yeah, well. right. Should have thrown it to Luke Shea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, um, again, there's the memory thing for the old yeah. guy. <laughs> They've got to be creative here, right, Scott? They can't just go in here and just be predictable and yeah. expect to win this game. And and they can't be predictable in moments where they might, you know, they can't try something crazy or new in a moment where everybody predicts them to do something crazy. Like, for instance, if it's fourth and two from midfield, everybody's going to think, oh, this is a great opportunity to, to run a fake. Well, they can't run the fake then. You know, they got to do it at a time when nobody expects it. Quarterback it's four, there. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, or it, it should be instead of. Don't do what you did at Wisconsin two years ago. No. <laughs> Run the fullback <laughs> twice in the line, you know. Um, you know, it's like, oh, fuck it. We're going to do it again, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it, it, what it's, what it's going to take is, you know, this is how I see just to try to envision a close game because that's really all you can really do right now. And that is Iowa's defense has to play its best game. And it has. It's played really well for the most part. You know, three touchdowns in the last six games. That's that's good stuff. That's better than you do most years. They're going to have to play probably even better because they've got a, an opponent that is equally skilled in both facets. they got a quarterback who completes 74% of his passes. And they got a running game, you know, that's got two NFL dudes. <laughs> yeah. They got an offensive line that's one of the best in the country, and they got three wide receivers that are, you know, NFL, you know, at least tra- training camp guys, if not guys. So you got all that you got to deal with, and so it's, it's too. 
Yeah, pretty good tight end too. You know, Loveland <laughs> is you know pretty good. So you got all that to throw in there, and you're like, how do you? Well, you're going to have to slow it down, and you're going to have to. It's going to have to start with what Iowa's tenets are: the run. You're going to have to try to make them one-dimensional. And then when they're one-dimensional, you're going to have to try to make them, um, you know, difficult in pass and disruption. It's not going to be easy. And then offensive line, you're going to have to displace them. You're going to have to be able to move the ball. Now, you know, scoring is going to be mandatory, of course, but in some ways it's, you know, at least early on, it's not as emphatic that you got to score points. But if you get the opening kickoff at the 25, you got to try to move that to midfield before you punt. You can't punt it from, you know, third and eight, you know, fourth and eight at the 27, and then they get the ball at the 38, and then, you know, and then you're playing this game. That's just not going to work. You're going to have to get to the 48. And then if you punt, and then Tory Taylor pins them inside the five, and then you're playing, then they're kind of like, oh, crap, how do we get out of this? And then you make them punt, and then you kind of go back and forth. And maybe, you know, there for a while, you frustrate them to where they're feeling a little bit, sideways as a friend would say and then and then you get if you get in the second half like late third quarter and it's still a one score game then they're going to press yep because they're saying they got everything at stake you know playoff third straight big 10 title hey we beat ohio state we should be killing this team and they're going to start getting frustrated probably angered at each other they've got all kinds of weird stuff going on dynamics with harbaugh finally back and people are gonna be like oh they should have just left him at home like they did last you know and then (laughs) And then Iowa it becomes more confident, looser. Hey, we got nothing to lose, man. Let's just get out there and keep rolling. They're confident. And that's where Iowa has a chance. What kind of chance? 3%. But it's a chance. I think you would agree with this, Scott. And I don't think this is like groundbreaking, uh, a groundbreaking thought or anything. But Iowa, I think early in this game, particularly – Iowa's got to be able to sustain something on offense. They've mm-hmm. got to be able to not the three and outs and putting your defense. Cause we saw this two years ago. Yeah. Iowa's yeah. defense was good in that first half. Mm-hmm. And then they wore down. The, that's what this, I mean, scoring is great. It's going to, you know, if the offense can hit a, you know, a Tavon Smith type play or something like yeah. that, 2000, great. Take some shots down the field. I'm all for that but you have to be able to at least sustain some drives, get some first downs. Your defense is not going to hold up with the physicality of Michigan's offense if they're out there time and time again. Right. And, you know, you you talk about a perfect storm of crap two years ago. Getting, you know, they got beat, you know, Iowa's uh, trick play didn't work. It was open. It didn't work. Michigan's did, Yep. you know, and they had a long, you know, halfback option pass. Blake Corum also hit like a 67 yard touchdown run Two un completely un Iowa like plays. Yep. You cannot have that happen. And they know that, but you know, that if you avoid those plays, maybe they score a touchdown on both those drives anyway, anyway, but you just can't allow that quick strike because that changes your mentality. If Iowa can force them to grind, you know, they're not going to be able to go 75 yards more than a couple of times during the game for a touchdown, but you've got to slow them down. And if Iowa can stay in the game, you know, don't make any. And, you know, the worst possible thing is uh, point score, point losing opportunities um, on offense turnovers, which is 
an, an interception and your, or a fumble in your own red zone area and one in the, you know, the other side of the red zone, you know, either takes points off your board or, or adds points to theirs, you know, so that, that's why this is so narrow. Iowa has a really good defense and, and Tory Taylor is going to punt his ass off. But after that, what, you know, how are you going to be able to make this work? And that's where Deacon Hill's going to have to play his best game. The line's going to have to play their best games. I'm sure the running backs will, but, and then they're going to have to come up with a couple of plays that they're not, you know, in situations that they're not prepared for. And, and so luckily for them, you know, Connor Stallions hasn't been out and about for a while. (laughs) That we know of. Yeah. We don't know that yet. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, and if you want the the horror movie, the the slasher movie, uh, watch the second half of Penn State for Michigan. If you want to to feel like Iowa has no chance because that was just that was the type of do- and Penn State, we know what Penn State's defense is. If if Michigan does that on Saturday, it's going to be a long night. Yeah. And that's that's probably what more people are thinking and yeah. expecting. And, and frankly, that's kind of what I think may happen, you know, is, you know, when, when I think they had like a 14 play drive to start the second half out there, then Iowa went three and out. Then they had another like 11 play scoring drive. And then Iowa had a turnover. I mean, that's the kind of, st- you know, 97 to 33 in play disparity. It, it, it's going to be uglier than Penn state. And it's going to be every bit of embarrassment that everybody is projected and worried about since October, you know, so you just don't want to do that. You know, I think overall, nobody's picking a win, but you just want this team to show up and compete. You want to, you want to say, you know what, it, 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 it sucked that they lost, but man, this team played hard and they, you know, say, I'll just throw out a score, like 24 to 13, Yeah, you know? You know, but but Michigan had to kick a field goal uh, with four minutes left to make it eleven points instead of you know something something like that to where you feel like you know what they're the better team, no question. But we didn't embarrass ourselves. We competed. We fought hard, and and that's I don't think that's a loser mentality or anything. I don't think that's a um, you know you know you're trying to get some sort of style points, <laughs> you know. But I I think it's it's reality. It's what it is. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you've got, you know, arguably you can make a case for Michigan being the best team in the country. We'll see what happens uh, if it wins Saturday and makes it to the playoff because it's looked really good going into that as before and not come out on the other side with a championship. I I was thinking (laughs) two things you don't want to watch. Iowa second half at Penn State and Michigan second half at Penn State. Because what Michigan did to Penn State in that second half without throwing a pass, just running it down their throat was that was more impressive than what they did against Ohio State by far. Yeah. That's a really good defense, as we know. And and that's that's exactly what you don't want to happen. And that and how do you do that? Well, your offense stays on the field a little bit longer. And you know, they're, they're going to run for first downs. They're probably going to get at least a hundred yards rushing. They've got two elite level running backs and we haven't heard a lot from Donovan Edwards this year, but you, you might. And, um, Blake Corum we've seen, and, you know, last year he had a really good run, you know, he had a, he's a really, really good player. So these are all the things that Cade McNamara is telling the Iowa 
team. He's like, you know, Blake Corm's a really good running back. Yeah, <laughs> they're gonna. He's gonna provide the secret sauce and how they're gonna win. You know. Uh, last one on this, Scott. Um, quarterback play. We touched on it a little bit earlier. You kind of know the efficiency you get with JJ McCarthy. He really hasn't had to put the team on his back. It'd be interesting to see if he's able to do that in this situation, if Iowa is able to at least slow the running game down to the point where he's going to have to complete some passes. He can do it. I mean, like the the second half of Penn State, they didn't need to do it. So that's that's something to keep keep an eye on. But on the other side, this is a big stage for Deacon. I know he's gained experience this year. Um, He really has to – it's almost the throws are there. He's got to make the throws that are there. Excuse me. I'm trying to calm my thoughts here. But I think the pocket awareness for him is going to be huge. Because as you talked about earlier, he sometimes doesn't feel where the pressure is coming from. And that can lead to what we've seen this year. He, he's gotten better at it. He seems like he's getting better at it. He's really got to be cognizant of that on Saturday. Yeah, that's – I think his performance, if I'm most stressed for an Iowa fan, it's, it's, it's Deacon Hill because he's, you know, last, after taking really strides, I thought in three straight games, um, against, uh, Northwestern, it wasn't a lot of yards by any stretch, but it, at least it was their completed passes. They were for two yards, but they're completed passes. Rutgers, okay, you know, looks, looks better, looks the part. Last week, or, uh, Illinois, not so bad other than that horrific pass that cost them points and last week you know it just wasn't working out whether it was a nebraska's defense which is pretty good or a good defense yeah and or what have you but you know here's the if you want to there's all kinds of disparities when you want to look statistically with iowa's offense comparing the the opponent but probably the worst one the one that makes you you know, want to throw up is uh, McCarthy completes seventy four point three percent of his passes. Deacon Hill forty eight point three. I mean, that's not good. And so, and, so if, and if you're in that boat, you cannot fumble and turn it no, over in the pocket no. or throw interceptions. He cannot turn the ball. And and this is why you know the pain of losing Cooper to Gene that gives you at least some hope. And you know, of course, he would have played some offense. Is that you know, what does Deacon Hill give you? <laughs> well, he's not accurate. Okay. But he, and he can't run either. You know, it's kind of like those old John McKay clips, you know, well, we didn't block. So we made up for it by not tackling, you know, <laughs> you know, but what do you think of your team's execution? I'm in favor of it, you know, <laughs> but you know, so he's again, taking it all the way down to the, the lowest level, make the makeables. Somebody's open, throw the ball so they can catch it and do something with it. Don't turn the ball over. And they have to catch it. Can't have drops either. Yeah, can't have drops. And, uh, and, you know, when you're in back, eat the ball if you have to. Surrender the sack. Do not surrender the ball. I mean, like the Minnesota game, you know, that was, that was on him. That game was on him. And, and the refs. And, and of course, the officiating. I mean, <laughs> it stole the bet, one of the premier plays in Kinnick Stadium history. Yeah. There have been a lot of great plays this year, by the way, individual plays that stand out. That one um, might have been number one if it wasn't for, for that. Yeah, that, uh, that one still stings. Let's do a little hoop, Scott. You were at Carver last night. Um, 
I watched the second half at home after my power came up back on after being out for an hour and a half. That was interesting. The little candlelight uh, on my laptop, typing up some stuff uh, last night. But um, got to watch the second half, which, as you said before we started recording, was the better half. Um, really uh, want to um, acknowledge and credit Tony Perkins for what he was able to do last night in such a very emotional and um you know, the, the sadness that one goes through when, when losing somebody close to you. And as Fran said after the game, Tony's grandmother was his biggest fan, and she passed away a few days ago. And Tony was, ha- you know, carrying that in his heart last night. And you always wonder how that's going to uh, manifest itself. And he used it, and it, it – it got. It was the good Tony Perkins. When Tony Perkins yeah. plays like that, that last night, this team is is going to be competitive against just about everybody. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was special. He was fantastic. I mean, eight of 10, 21 points, and he was just, you know, a dominant player out there. And you know, and, and the emotions that he had, um, especially you know, post game when he came off the floor for the last time and went to each and every player teammate and then you know assistant coach and you know it was just clearly emotional I mean crying you know very prolonged hugs even in post game you know I asked him about his grandmother and um, what she meant to him and things like you know she had a he said she had a, a basketball hoop in, in her front yard and she was always rebounding for him and playing with him when he was younger and, you know, and everything. So, you know, uh, some of us, I I was blessed to have wonderful grandparents. So, you know, I miss them dearly. And so I, I feel for somebody like that and you, you know, when you're young and you've got a lot of things going on and, you know, it hits you. And especially if you're not nearby in his case, you know, he's from Indianapolis. And so next week he's going to go to the Purdue game. On Monday. Monday right? Yeah. And then he's going to stick, stay around and then go to uh, the services, I think, or Wednesday. And then they're going to figure out a way to, to get him to Ames either Wednesday night or Thursday morning for the, uh, for the basketball game at Iowa state. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's the right thing to do. And, uh, you know, Tony's a veteran player. He misses a couple practices. It's not the end of the world. He knows what's going on. He knows what they run. He knows what's yeah. expected, all that stuff. And condolences to him and his family and, and uh, thoughts with them uh, next week to uh, they uh, lay Tony's grandmother to rest. Um, Owen Freeman. Scott, uh, this is the conversation we had before we started recording. Scott submits that Owen Freeman might work in the starting lineup. Scott, well, let me be more definitive there. Scott (laughs) wants Owen Freeman in the starting lineup. I like him coming off the bench. We're going to explain to you why we're taking our positions. I'll let Scott go first. I like the energy and and toughness that he brings already as a freshman, and I think it's only going to get better from there, which I, I, you know, I'm not breaking any news on that one. But, you know, watching the way he he went from – a turnover at one end of the floor to go down and blocking three shots in the same possession. And the first one was clearly a choice. And that's what I kind of referred it to him last night. I said, he had a choice to go up or he had a choice to let the guy lay it up. And he, instead he took, he attacked 
and he blocked. And then he and there was blocked. that was excellent technique and timing yeah. too. If you watch exactly. that, he sized up where that shot was going to. It was sorry to interrupt, but I was just I I thought that was uh, if you're a basketball fan, it really was something that you can appreciate. Yeah, and then the next two to go up the way he did, you know, and the crowd really responded. It was the loudest I'd heard the crowd all night. You know, it's, it was from, uh, you know, those three blocks and it kind of went, Oh, Oh, <laughs> you know, and, and you could see but the effort and the, and, and, you know, and I, I know that fits in clearly to what you're describing is, you know, getting that kind of energy off the bench. And I don't disagree with that. I mean, I think this is a, you know, of a good discussion, but I, I like what he brings. And I think him and Ben Cricky on the floor together, maybe at the start of the game is something, you know, it might not be bad on Monday yeah. <laughs> against Purdue. It won't happen, but it you know, might not be the worst idea in the world. Um, you know, gives them size, athletic ability and toughness right from the get go. And, and so, you know, last night, you know, 16, five blocks, four rebounds, just really, and, and he just seems to be ascending. I, I really like the way he plays. I love the freshmen. I think they're going to be really good players. I think they're going to be really good role players for the most part this year. And I think next year and beyond, they can be very, very good starters and, and contributors. Yeah, interesting makeup of this team with the young guys on the one end and then the veteran guys that have been around for quite a while on the other end. It's an interesting dynamic and, and um, construction of this team, and it intrigues me a lot. And Scott kind of mentioned my reasoning for bringing Owen off the bench. I like that energy. I like that guy coming off the bench and giving you that spark maybe five, six minutes into the game. But I think – because we're running a little short on time here, so I don't want to dive into this too much. I think Scott and I both agree he needs more minutes. Whether he starts or comes off the bench, you need to play him, give him more minutes, because he's kind of like Luca with athleticism. Yeah. He's got that same energy and put guys on his back and get everybody going like Luca did. And that, I'm not knocking Luca because Luca was yeah. as skilled as any player I've, yeah. I've covered at Iowa, and, and Owen doesn't have that skill level yet. But he has that a less a, that athleticism with the energy, and that's really, I mean, that's so valuable on this mm-hmm. level, especially on nights like last night. And Scott was in the arena. You're not getting energy off the crowd, mm-hmm. so when he's able to do that, he gets what crowd there is there into it, and that helps. Yeah, I think uh, you look at, you know, one player, I think his game is really similar to already is probably Ryan Creener when he was a veteran, not necessarily when he was younger. He's two to three years skilled past what Creener was as a freshman, I think. And that's what you like about him. But the energy, as you said, absolutely, it's Luca Garza now. You know, I, he's a, he's a pure post. I mean, Luca was like a Euro post, you know, <laughs> I think uh, this is more of a, a strong five that you really like. And so overall, I, I think him, I really like Harding. I like Dembele. 
I think those three price are hit, price hit a big three last yeah, year. Yeah. And and you know, and of course to me, Peyton Sanford is the heart and soul of this yep. team. I mean, he is all energy, ball of fire, and you can tell the difference when he's hitting shots when he's not. And and there's a lot to like there. I like Dix. I, I think they're, you know, Perkins, of course, is is fantastic. So when he's good. And so I think they've got the the core. It's just you know, uh, putting the pieces on the floor at the, at the right time. And, you know, some players I think are more role players. Other players I think could be, have bigger, you know, showcases, you know, in some ways, I think, you know, whether that's minutes or that's opportunities. So I, but Freeman's one that I want to see more of. I want to see more Brock Harding too. I think 10 minutes is too, too, you know, not enough for him. I think he needs to have, 16 plus I think Harding who had 19 I I think he needs to have 23 you know something like that it's a matter of Fran being comfortable enough to give the point guard position to Bowen and and Harding to split and not feeling not worrying so much to the point where he's putting Tony at that position I think Tony's better off the ball hopefully they get to that point you know we we get caught up Scott sometimes and not you know, looking ahead to what a team can become. I think what we've seen so far in November is there are pieces here for this to be a potentially good team, good enough to make the tournament, but how will it come together? How will these pieces come together? And as the calendar switches to December tomorrow, we'll get a good idea and they'll get a good litmus test of where they are next week when you go to West Lafayette names. Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, when they've played major competition, it's been split decisions. I thought they played well at Creighton despite the loss. Not very good defense, but what else is new? Um, I thought they played horrible against Oklahoma. Just tr- just the worst game that they could possibly play. But then they bounced back. I didn't watch much of it, if any of it. But, you know, against Seton Hall. Next week is a different level because you've actually got – rivalry attachments, league attachments when, you know, the the next week and a half ish, you've got Purdue, Iowa state, and then Michigan three games consecutively. That's going to tell you an awful lot. I mean, is this team capable of competing night in and night out in the big 10 and holding its own, or has it got a lot of work to do? Monday's not going to tell you that because you're going to Mac arena. You never win there except for the miracle that happened in 2015 or early 16. Um, but, you know, how do you compete in Ames? You know they hate your guts there. You know you're going to face some adverse situations. they got a lot of talent. They're a pretty good team. But can you hold your own? And I'm not saying even win. A big picture. You know, narrow, you hate it. But big picture. Can you go there? You're down eight. They get on a run. That place is, you know, 120 decibels. Can you hold yourself together? Go, you know, play with toughness. Get a stop. Score. That sort of thing. If they can, yeah, you know, then this isn't the worst thing in the world. If not, if they get run out of both of the places and then they're playing Michigan, you know, and that, that could go either way, then, yeah, then you got to be concerned about some things and maybe you need to start tweaking the lineup a little bit. And I don't know if he'll do that. Yeah. Win or lose next week, they have to. This is a team that is obviously needs to continue to grow and not take steps backward. It needs to continue to move forward. And we'll see the the game in Ames 
Iowa State is built a lot like Oklahoma. We'll talk about this more next Thursday. Defensive-minded, tough, hard-nosed. Iowa needs to prove it can beat teams like that because it's not it's it's not its style of basketball. Can it play another team's style? And most likely in Hilton, it's Iowa State's going to have a really good chance to dictate tempo in that game. We'll talk about that more next week, Scott. Uh, we'll hit to hit on the women's team real quick. Got revenge on Kansas State. Won a tournament down in Florida. Looks like they're back on track. If they were ever off track again. Matchups make fights. Kansas State is an interesting matchup for Iowa, but that had to give them confidence being able to come back and win that game after losing last year in Manhattan and then earlier this year in Carver. Yeah, and they played so poorly in Carver that night, shot so bad. I mean, two out of 21. And they had to play without Hannah Stolke, you know, who's, you know, really at one of the premier posts, I think, you know, at least, you know, power forwards, not only in the Big Ten, but in the country. And to go against Aoka Lee, who's really good, and still be able to pull that win out, shoot a lot better. You know, even in, in tough moments when Kansas State was making a comeback and, and put itself in position to to overtake Iowa, which is what they did in Iowa City, that this team was tough enough to fight back and win. I think that shows you a lot about this team. Now, they got to continue to do that, and they got to figure out, you know, the post is going to be an ongoing situation all year long they're going to have to deal with it and um they, they have some light there you know how how bright we don't know you know it, we'll know when we see them play Mackenzie Holmes and some of the other players right. but but by and large really good tournament for them especially the last game more than anything um they got a home game Saturday afternoon you know it's it's, it's major tv I mean it's FS1 that is that's impressive and uh, and then they go from there. I, I think you know play Iowa State, of course, next week. So this is uh, you know I think overall the loss to Kansas State sucked, but it was a learning opportunity. And I think you kind of almost have to treat it as such at this point. I was watching quickly here. I was watching Hannah Stokey's dad's video of the interaction between Lisa and the Kansas State coach. And what went down there and her yelling at him and getting into it. That was, it's almost like a budding rivalry. I hope Kansas State, I hope, it, I hope it, I don't say play every year, but it seems like they got a little, little competition going there, build, building a rivalry. And that's good. You know, yeah. build a rivalry with Big 12 teams, Get, play those good teams in your area, in your region, you know. I wish the men's team would do that more. I, I oh, love yeah. that they played Creighton this year. I, I went Marquette. I would love to see more games like that. Absolutely. I mean, what what's one of the best series that Iowa men did? Missouri, yeah. all those years. Play Missouri as often as possible. Kansas State, Kansas. You know, I think teams like that. It, it's it's good because they're they're nearby. You know, it's you cross over and recruiting somewhat, but but you know, it, it, it means something a little bit more because you know there are fans in Kansas city market or whatever. And, and yeah. And what's funny to me is, uh, you know, Jeff Mitty was the women's coach at, in St. Joseph at Missouri Western right before I got there. And Mike That's Nicholson, the state coach. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's a division two. And I, I was there for six years in the early two thousands. And then Mike Nicholson was the men's assistant while the whole time I was there were Facebook friends. So I talked to him before the game and it, it Carver and everything. So it, it's, it's weird, you know, just a, you know, small, small world <laughs> when I see that happen. So, yeah. Um, 
But no, that, that was, that's great. I mean, I think teams like that, you know, Missouri, Kansas State, you know, um, you know, teams in the region, those are really good to play. And, and I, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, the men's, you know, one of the, there, there's so many things to, you know, complain about with men's basketball, but it's like the connection with the fans continues to kind of deteriorate, which is why I think you see some of the, you know, like the crowd size fall. I mean, back in the day, not that long ago, but 10, 15 years ago, you had before home football games, shirts and skins. Fans could go in and watch them work out. They, you had the PTL, which is just the absolute most perfect um, marketing tool that the basketball program could have. Come out and watch them play in a gym for free and maybe meet them, get autographs, you know, say hi, you know, and we write stories about them. There's videos, there's, you know, that's all gone, you know, and there's no like kickoff or tip off event. And, and and I think, uh, you know, and then you start taking away, you know, okay, no more ACC big 10 challenge, you know, you didn't replace it with a great game at home. You know, you did play Creighton, but you know, then there were some of the games where they'd go play Gonzaga and, South Dakota and Cincinnati and Chicago and New York against Duke. And it's like, what are you bringing for your fans? What are you bringing your players? Yeah, Big 10 is great. No question. You know, Iowa state every other year. Fine. That's perfect. But you know, you want to see a little bit more. And, and that's where I think this team and this program, it's like, you keep taking things away, but you're not getting, replacing it with anything that your fans can appreciate. Yeah, and no more Drake or you and I either. Yeah, exactly. I forgot those, about that. Yeah, those used to be those used to be must see for in state every year. People look forward to those games and they're gone as well. So Beth Katz has got some work to do, I think, in terms of building that fan base back up and, and yeah. getting people into the arena, whether it's moving the students, and this is a conversation we're not going to have right <laughs> now. Uh, you know, low, certain games where you have ticket package, whatever they do, we'll talk about that as we get into the basketball season, especially if we continue to see these crowds be very small. Uh, pick, Scott, you got those? Yeah, last week was a good week for us, Rob. I mean, it was, right the, best, it was the best week we've had. I, you were 6-1, and one, I was 7-0. and oh, So Finishing uh, strong. Yeah, finishing uh, with an edge here. Both of us were, so... <laughs> Yeah, I was uh, I was surprised and shocked when I went through it all, and I went, "Whoa, you know, hey, what game we'll did I lose? Minnesota, uh, Michigan State." Ah, okay, twenty-one it was, and a half. Yeah, twenty-one and a half. So that one's uh, <laughs> that one's a little tough, but Sparty's got a new coach. Yeah, talk about that down the road too. Good yeah. hire. Yeah, it is. Um, he's he's a, he's really good. So uh this week we only have to pick one uh you know in a couple of weeks we'll pick some bowl games but uh you know Iowa um against Michigan uh, minus 21 and a half for Michigan uh as we said the over under is 34 and a half I, I just went ahead and used consensus now rather than 23 and a half I guess it doesn't really matter um yeah you know what I this this is a situation where I'm rooting for the story, not for the not not and I feel like I got house money to play with here. I'm 64 and 40, so I can play with one game. I'm gonna take Iowa and the points. I'm not picking them to win. I'm taking Iowa and the points just so I can just to pick them. Like to throw out my uh 
the trends that I chose for my preview. I okay. go through the trends of the week that I like to share with Scott and you guys. Michigan is six and two against the spread in its last eight games. Mm-hmm. And those spreads are big. A lot of those were big. Yeah. Uh, the total has gone over in seven of the Wolverines' last eight games. Something to keep in mind there. Yeah. If that number continues to drop. The total has gone under in Iowa's last seven games. And the Hawkeyes are four and one against the spread in their last five games as an underdog. Okay. So something, some numbers and some, some trends to keep an eye on there. I have Michigan winning this game, Scott, 27 to 10. So I will too, I too will take the points. I think I, I made it. I don't know. I probably went too nice with it. I went 27, 16, um, Michigan. Yeah, it's only six more points than I got. So yeah. it's still in the ballpark. It, it? I mean, it's an 11 point loss, but you know, it's somewhere. Well, I, I don't know if I'm predicting it or hoping for it. Just kind of like this, you know, yeah, you know, not, you know, you know how it goes, you, you, you know, it's not a, I'm, well, I was I'm, talking I'm, about earlier, you know, we've, it's you. You can't ignore what we've witnessed this year, Scott, yeah. with this team. So I don't know how much it is for each individual person in that that follows Iowa, but there's that part of your in your mind, in the back of your mind, that they can do this again. Yeah, and you know the th- the thing that's holding me back from, and probably most fans from holding themselves back from some sort of a crazy victory type thing is if. Kate McNamara was there or if CJ Beathard was quarterback or something like that. Then you feel like even, even Lachey and all. Yeah. Could you imagine if they had Lachey and all this week with Deacon Hill? Right. You know, or if Cooper DeGene was, you know, Hey, he's taking snaps and he's doing, you know, then it's like, Oh, well maybe he's going to run Wildcats because that's something that they haven't prepared for and all, you know, it just isn't that hope and and that's the problem and that's what we've all run into and you know the the thing that's kind of sucks though is all year long it's like people have they they've feared this moment more than they've enjoyed the others like you know even in that's a good October. point because i've heard i've seen that a lot where people are like oh why do we want to win the west we're just going to get our ass kicked yeah it's like well, who cares you know you don't you don't want to go to the final four because you might lose yeah you know I, and, 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 you know, people have been talking about that, especially in the month of November. And then it's like, well, why do we want to go there? You know, and we're just going to you know, be the sacrificial lamb. Well, that's, you still want to, you still got a trophy. You still got an accomplishment. You still want 10 games. Yeah. The the West was weak, but somebody had to win it. You, they don't just say, well, we're going to leave it vacant because nobody's any good. And you know what? Iowa went out and won it. Iowa won those games. Everybody else didn't. Everybody else had that same opportunity. Yep. They did not win. You know, Minnesota, it collected what it wanted, Floyd. And then it chose to, to not win anything else. But it is going to a bowl game because it's got a high APR. So congratulations, Minnesota. But <laughs> <laughs> so I whatever happens, you know, I, I want to try to stump people right off the bat. I'm not I'm not here for, to be your community bartender on Saturday night. If Iowa gets 40 beat 44 to nothing, I don't want to hear it. I don't care. You, you can complain all you want that I'm just not here for that. So I'm going to mention that on Twitter at the outset and I'm sure nobody will pay attention, but. 
<laughs> trying to reason and use logic <laughs> with folks on yeah. social media platforms is a fool's errand, but I wish you the best of luck. And um, I think that's probably a good place to snip this thing and uh, move on. I will see yeah. you down in Indianapolis. Um, I'm going to be uh, I, the good thing about this, Scott, is we we know where we're going. We know how to get in. We know, you know, sometimes you go to bowl games or whatever, and you're like, ah, where the hell do I go? No yeah. problem this week. We know where yeah. we're going. The Iowa fans know where yeah. they're going. They'll probably have their favorite bars. Um, yeah. Hopefully those folks in Indy learned their lesson in 2021 <laughs> and stocked up. Yeah, 15 was nuts. Absolutely. Yeah, that, <laughs> that one, you know, 21, they were like, Iowa fans were like hopeful. 15, they were very fairly confident, you know, and just overjoyous, you know, 12 and 0. And, and it, it turned out to be one of the great games in Big Ten history. But uh, no, I think the, you know, when you mentioned, you know, reasoning with the social media, it's like, yeah, you know, I thought immediately of trying to talk to my cats. <laughs> Get down. <laughs> oh, that works. Dogs, maybe. Cats. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that, too. I was like, the dogs are like, they'll sit there in the kitchen and look at me and I'm talking to them. And I'm like, they have no idea what the hell I'm talking <laughs> about. They're just looking at me going, hey, you got food? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or climb on my lap. Well, it doesn't matter that I have uh, my lunch and I'm watching TV or I'm <laughs> scribbling notes, but I'm going to jump on your lap because I can. And that's kind of the social media times. I'm going to complain about Iowa, even though the game's not until Saturday. I'm not here for it. I, got I do want to, before we get out of here, if it, we we have a tendency maybe to, to give too much attention to fans that um, are most vocal with negativity. I want to definitely shout out the Iowa fan base for coming around and supporting this team for what it is and acknowledge what it accomplished against the odds and the obstacles that it had. And to get to 10 and two with everything that happened, granted nuance, the West division schedule, all that stuff, what this team did, this should be a team that, that fans embrace. Absolutely. You know, that, we we get to know the players personally and that every year I feel like this and it just continues that there is an outstanding collection of young men that are part of this program and they represent you, the fans and, and the state and the university the right way. And uh, you should be proud of them and to, to overcome the, the adversity that they have to, to go out there and play hard, win close games. It's easy to lose them. And they, but that they, they persevere they find a way to win and i think um i in part i think the brian decision kind of diffused you know pop that blister you know kind of diffused the situation a little bit but i think the critical mass of fans the ones that matter the most are the ones that are have gone you know what i've gone from i can't stand watching this team to you know what there are guys and it may be ugly but they're uh, they're for us and I, I appreciate watching, you know, I, I appreciate talking to fans who feel that way. And and I just hope that whatever happens Saturday doesn't doesn't shade that in, in a negative light because you just what they've accomplished is worthy of celebration. You know, everybody talks about the 10 and 2 team, you know, or the, the 2014, Rob. And that team didn't have to play a Big Ten championship game. That team lost to Michigan and it still claims a share of the Big Ten title. Essentially, that would be the same case they are here, except they have to play Michigan. And, oh, by the way, they got a really tough Michigan team to play. So. 
probably better than that version, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, eight o'clock, Fox. Tune in. Tickets available, folks. If you're mm-hmm. looking to make a, a late decision here and, and, and get down there and maybe watch the greatest upset in the history of Iowa football, uh, maybe Iowa sports for that matter. I don't know. Scott's got a better reference point to that, but we got to get out of here so he can get on his next pod and I can go to the bathroom. I'm sure everybody right. needed that, that knowledge. <laughs> yeah. TMI. <laughs> Thank you everybody for listening. Um, we appreciate that. We appreciate our sponsors. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll preview the Iowa, Iowa state basketball game. We'll talk about the women's game from the night before we'll recap this game. We'll look ahead to the bowl. We'll have plenty of stuff to talk about next week. So please come back and join us. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.